0: Welcome to Zephyr Podcast Sessions with your host, me, Scott Howland. To find out more about Zephyr and how we're helping leading brands and businesses with customer journey orchestration, visit www.zephr.com. Hey, and welcome to the uh, Zephyr Podcast Sessions. It's great to be back this week. And this week, I am joined by David Lockie of Pragmatic. Hey, David, how are you? Hi, Scott. I'm great.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: No worries at all. Um, For the listeners, um, I I know who you are. I I know what you do. But um, it would be great to get an introduction, who you are, what you do, and uh, what is Pragmatic?
1: Sure, thanks. Uh, So I'm founder and CEO of Pragmatic. We're a digital agency based in the UK, down in Brighton on the sunny south coast. We specialize in WordPress, um, but we go quite far beyond what you might think WordPress can do. And we work with a whole variety of organizations, uh, but we've done a lot of work with B2B publishing over the last few years in particular.
0: Absolutely, and that's how we kind of came across each other, Um, obviously working very closely with us here at Zephyr. Um, But today is mainly we're gonna talk about looking at revenue maximization um, solving this problem for publishers and uh more essentially an, an article you've written i think we're just going to go into detail on that and how how that um, kind of works so if i said to you what is revenue maximization how would you how would you feel that What what would be your
1: answer it would be that there are now many more ways for uh businesses especially publishers to make money online um, and that's a good thing but it also presents a bunch of challenges because uh, different revenue opportunities can often be kind of mutually exclusive um, so that's where revenue maximization comes in uh, you know that the most valuable way to monetize a visit to a website is not always to show them an ad for example it might be to uh, offer them uh, an opportunity to participate in like a, uh, a more membership led engagement or indeed to try and hit them with a more targeted uh, call to action around a lead generation campaign for example so uh, the more ways there are for publishers to monetize their content the like the harder it is to maximize that revenue for every visit does that make sense yeah it
0: does and i guess that has
1: become very more
0: much more prominent over the last few months as well um we've seen um the 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 pandemic uh of the the last three or four months um uh mean that advertising revenues have plummeted um, this diversification of revenues—be this a membership model, be this a lead generation model, be this some kind of different um, uh, revenue model—that that that's needed by publishers. Um, I'd say that this is key for publishers at the moment to look at maximizing this this uh, this revenue. But why has this evolved? So let's look at a history then maybe why has this evolved so fast like why why are, why are businesses looking at diversifying these revenues now
1: i mean there's there's definitely a combination of different trends that have converged um to to where we are now, so I think you know it used to be pretty simple stick up some content, put some ads on it you know get more get more traffic um, over time, people have realized that really Google and Facebook are the winners in that model because they get the percentage of every advertising dollar, but even more valuably, they get the ownership of data about visitors and what they're doing. So that first party data, um, kind of tagged onto the end of that trend is the, the upcoming end of the third party cookie, which will really give publishers and any kind of owned content platforms the stimulus uh and the opportunity to start generating first-party content uh first-party data that they can then use so at the moment you can leverage third-party data in order to drive ad revenue optimization but as third-party cookies start getting banned uh you're going to need to to figure out which ad to serve uh yourself you know how to optimize that user journey yourself so there's that whole kind of uh, change within the ad uh, like relationship, and also the technology and the le- the, the legislation around that. I think e-commerce uh, has been gradually growing. Um, when when online publishing first started happening, you just couldn't do credit cards online. Now everyone is super comfortable spending money on on websites, whether that's physical goods and services or digital ones. Even just buying a car online with a credit card is now just like a pretty normal thing. Um, I think publishers have fought a, a long running battle uh, to introduce paywalls. And they've they've kind of won that now, I think, and um, they've demonstrated significant enough value and good enough technology that, uh, enough people are willing to pay for access to good content that there's, there's viable business there. So that's brought a whole new kind of revenue stream online. Uh, I think something that really speaks to our philosophy about where we are now, and what's happening is this sort of convergence between uh, publishers who think like brands and brands who publish. So brands have seen a lot of success through really effective content marketing. And I guess that's shone a light on, uh, you know, that's a good analogy for publishers. So the more like a publisher a brand behaves, the better their revenues. It doesn't take that much imagination for a publisher to say, well, hang on, we, we're already a publisher. How do we now, um, how do we, how do we get revenue out of all this traffic? You know, a lot of brands would kill for the amount of traffic that, uh, publishers have got already so uh, for example uh, you know if you've got one two million three million people already as a as a publisher then you've you've got to be able to find ways to to monetize that if brands are already making a ton of traffic off much much lower volumes Uh, and I think also that there's there's this sort of partnership approach which is driving that convergence so It's really difficult to produce great content that's engaging. And so brands are increasingly looking to publishers for whom this is what they do every day to collaborate and cooperate to maximize that revenue both ways. Um, and then I think that the final trend, sorry, long answer, Scott, but I think the final trend is that like it's increasingly complex to acquire customers. You know, you can now get anything as a service. Um, And if you're going to really achieve success at scale, you need to master self-onboarding. So you need to be able to acquire and onboard customers with zero direct contact uh, the majority of the time. And as those techniques have become successful with B2B SaaS, there's plenty of opportunities for publishers to learn about how to do that and how to uh, respond to those kind of buying behaviours as... Uh, editorial content becomes an important part of uh, like a b2b purchasing journey and i
0: think that that is ever more prevalent over uh, the the further transformation some of these these publishers go on um and the example i'm thinking of here is back in back in the day you signed up for a subscription you got a magazine maybe two months after you first signed up for that subscription um and it used to take a, a long time to to come through the post, or when it finally got printed, and and the print house sorted out that 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 kind of subscription and that delivery. However, now um, you want access straight away. You sign up, you pay that content. You know that content is being published daily. Um, you know that content is being um, uh, basically uh, written by editorial teams live, uh, and then published and iterated on. and and delivered and when you pay your subscription you want to get value straight away Um, you want to get value from that Uh, it goes back to your self-onboarding side of things Um, you want to have a great experience and you want to be able to get that your hands-on said product and that could be over any b2b right it could be hey if i sign up and i want to get access to leads for example from a from a b2b company then i want access to those straight away i don't want to wait till 24 hours before those get delivered to me. If I want access to a B2B product or a SaaS product and I sign up online, uh, I, I pretty much hope that I could get access straight away if that's the kind of product it is. Um, and obviously people, I think, are more expecting that with um, with publishers these days. Um, with regards to, obviously, this is creating a very user-centric experience. You're looking at the, the brand, publishers are more of a of of a brand right they they've got they've got their set of users they're looking to monetize those in different ways what are different ways that they're what are these opportunities for publishers in in your opinion
1: i mean there's some that have been around for quite a long time so you know standard ad revenue is still important to a lot of publishers uh house advertising um particularly where you've got kind of cross sell upsell You know, bundles is is really interesting as well. Like when you try and convert somebody with an in-house call to action versus, uh, you know, a third party ad. Um, In-house e-commerce is increasingly important as well. I think we've seen Hearst do some really interesting stuff around uh, using not only their traffic, but their search authority to drive um, just straight e-commerce as part of their their interests. There's also affiliate based e-commerce that's become more important. but it's been around a long time as well. Speaking to kind of the Zephyr world, I think um, paywalls, subscriptions, memberships, um, that first-party data is all super important as well. We've done a little bit of work recently with regard to uh, micro-payments, so web monetization. Uh, you know, that's that's something that's sort of been present in the web's technical standards for 25, 30 years. And I think we're just now starting to see, you know, post-crypto, post-digital wallets, uh, the promise of that direct kind of frictionless, decentralized money streaming starting to come online. And, uh, you know, for me, that's one of the big trends we're going to see over the next few years is as, you know, Facebook integrate Libra or as Amazon and Google integrate their own banking services, Apple as well, you know, we already get Apple Pay, Google Pay, Amazon Pay, etc. As that starts getting baked into browsers, I think we're going to start to see a lot more uh, microtransaction-based access to, to services. And Do you think that will
0: work this time? In your opinion, obviously, we've seen that maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, people tried to charge access for uh, for one article. Yeah, okay, maybe it was a bit more friction then. Um, and obviously, this is where they're trying to, I guess, face ID on your phone, right? Apple Pay will will make this easy, perhaps.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it comes back to it's that famous saying, is it Jack Sandberg? He says, there's only two ways to make money, you know, bundling and unbundling. And, you know, when when you look at the number of different uh, content services that a typical Gen Z looks at now, you know, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Twitch, whether it's The Times, whether it's Wired, whether it's a whole bunch of stuff that they they must read that I have never heard of, you you know, are, are they realistically going to be paying $5 a month for a subscription to each of those content providers? And I think we're already starting to see a little bit of kind of subscription fatigue as people are expected to pay for netflix amazon prime hulu hbo disney plus it's like you know you're pretty much just getting back up to that bundled cable tv offering and i think that's one of the strongest arguments alongside the kind of frictionless technology for why micropayments make sense you know ultimately what do i think is a cool vision for sustainable content creation and experience online it's probably that just that i agree with google chrome that my budget for uh my budget is 50 50 quid and that could cover things that i watch it could access uh it could could cover access to premium content or a membership service or even um stuff like access to data products which i think is another way in which we're seeing really successful publishers leverage their IP uh, in a way that's productized beyond kind of ephemeral content. So if you're a subject matter expert, you've probably got an internal editorial database of, you know, who's doing what or where did this, or RNA can really underpin some interesting editorial automation. Uh, So like how do you make each individual journalist or editor be able to access that kind of hive mind of your organisational experience, but it also offers opportunities for digital products. And I think where, where people, organisations we've worked with have seen uh, a lot of successes where they can demonstrate that they've got access to data that is going to help analysts uh, and people that are doing research to do that job better and faster uh But often, those people are only working on this particular problem, you know, for a particular project. They may not want an annual subscription to something, but they may be willing to pay quite a high ticket price to get one off access to data that's particularly valuable to them.
0: And I think, though, that there's a, there's a couple of thought processes behind that, right? There's the predictability of revenues, obviously, for publishers that would maybe reduce predictability of revenues depending on what they're giving access to as a micro payment versus paying someone paying five pounds a month or five dollars a month or whatever that might be um obviously if they're paying i don't know 50 pence say uh, an article or whatever uh facebook libra is per article <laughs> um then obviously that would it would change the predictability of some of that revenue um do you think a mix of both of these approaches could be could be a possibility
1: yeah i mean and this is kind of core to this whole concept of revenue maximization um is that it's not just the types of product and service service that you're offering it's the way in which you're charging for that so for example uh if a cmo or marketing director comes to pragmatic site because uh they've heard we're like the world's greatest ever WordPress agency, I don't want to gate my content. I want them to be able to find out everything about us that they need to make a decision there and then. Because even if I put up like a "contact us to find out our prices" registration wall, then that might put them off. You know, these are busy people. Whereas if it's somebody I don't, I don't know, or it's a competitor, then you know, sticking stuff behind a gate is uh, is totally acceptable. So it, it's really that idea that even from visit to visit you know on one visit i could be like just learning about a brand or a service whereas on the next i could be coming because i've got a like an intention to buy you know so every visit even from the same person has a different intent and it's being able to personalize those user journeys across what what are kind of increasingly heterogeneous web estates So Uh, You know, it could be e-commerce, could be publishing, could be an app, could be uh, on a mobile, could be on a desktop, like solving that kind of orchestration challenge and always providing the most valuable ask of a visitor at that particular time, valuable to you, but also valuable to them. That's, you know, that's the holy grail. And I think it's a really useful uh, kind of, direction of travel to go in like, you know should we do this should we do that you know does it take us closer towards being able to to maximize the value of every visit and we're seeing that more and more in the market
0: um intelligent kind of models that are deployed to to maybe predict propensity or predict uh, churn even from subscriptions and things like that um, uh, and understand more about the users and i think this is only going to get uh, more mature as the market moves on um, I think we've seen over the last few months subscription spikes um, obviously where people are uh, maybe at home we're uh, in uh, lockdown and they want to get access to that content there and then um, might not be um, driving or commuting as much so in the mornings trying to read there or even going to pick up a newspaper right uh, even from a from a kind of uh, newspaper standpoint uh, people are accessing content online um and maybe hitting data walls paywalls more often hence subscribing uh we're seeing that a lot across a lot of um customers and prospects and conversations we're having at the moment um what would be a if there was a uh, is there a solution to this is there something that that you've seen in the market or is it kind of um uh, something focused uh, customized to to each publisher depending on their models is there a, like an ideal I'm um, revenue diversification standpoint is what i'm sort of asking
1: yeah i mean I, th- I think we've seen stuff that works for us obviously everyone's mileage uh varies but you know to your point of subscription spiking like there's a there's a guy at I, I follow and talk to you called Grant Leboff from Sticky Marketing, and his, you know, his take on this is that, you know, basically COVID's changed nothing, but it's accelerated everything, and uh, you know, we see that from subscriptions through e-commerce and everything else. I mean, e- US e-commerce penetration as a percentage of overall retail grew the same amount in eight weeks as it did in the last ten years, and I think you know there are going to be a bunch of graphs which which come along um, and talk to that. So, kind of looping back to your question that I think there were there are basically two parts to the solution. One is to have an owned content platform that can be a destination that you can control um so it's got to be agile. You can't have a six month backlog uh before you can get anything done. you know you have to be able to change your business model, you know add new products and services, change your messaging in a way that is no code, by which I mean like for the people who are using the site to do, like to communicate, it has to be a no code experience. You can't have a developer requirement to update the homepage, for example. Uh, and that that just gives you that kind of real time control, keeps, keeps the website at the centre of your organisation uh, and keeps it alive and fresh and that really comes across. The other side of it is then the ability to personalize experiences on that platform for your visitors so uh, there are a bunch of kind of third party cookie based things that will do personalizations recommendations all the rest of it now over time it's it's going to be more a case that that tech has to be based on first party data sets and I think uh, one of the one of the really interesting things that Zephyr does is allow publishers to build up that first party data at the moment match that then with third party data and start doing some really interesting uh, orchestration so it's that it's that combination between those two things you've got to have a platform that works for you day to day and you've then got to be able to uh, personalize and orchestrate everyone's experience on top of that you know you start off with segmentation it starts going into personalization and at some point uh you know it's got to become automated it's going to be driven by machine learning uh and then you're on the then you're on the journey to having ai augmenting everyone's experiences of, of what you do as a brand or as as a publisher
0: no absolutely and look at that you got a, uh, a little zephyr advertisement in there for me then and i didn't even need to do that so no really appreciate that look um I really like this conversation. I could talk about the uh, diversifying revenues and uh, maximizing revenues for hours, but um, I think this gives us a real good insight into the, uh, into this world. Um, David, it's been great to have you on the Zephyr podcast sessions. Um, if people want to get hold of you um, and learn more about this, how how can they do that?
1: You can come to our owned content platform at pragmatic.agency. Um, there's a, you can contact us through there. We're on we're on Twitter as uh, at Pragmatic Web. I'm personally on Twitter as at Dividovi, which is, is one of those old fashioned internet nicknames that won't die. Um, otherwise, you can hit me at uh, d at pragmatic. agency, and I'm always uh, super interested to, to, to chat. No, amazing. And
0: uh, once this is over, I'm definitely coming down to your offices because I'm just at the road from Brighton and uh, I still I used to live there. So, uh, yeah, I love it back down there. Um, so, look, um, David, great to have you on. I've got one, uh, two more questions for you. Uh, I haven't prepped you about any of these. So um, firstly, um, if we were going to a bar in Brighton on a Friday evening and we get to the bar and uh, we're about to order a beverage, um what would be your go-to choice and let's pretend it's a sunny day uh in summer
1: a sunny summer's day well i'm gonna i'm gonna support uh local businesses so um there's a brewery down here called buy some beer they do some great beers um i reckon we'd we'd probably in fact they've got a couple of pubs so i reckon we'd probably head straight down there get a nice fresh locally locally brewed artisan beer and uh talk about revenue
0: diversification absolutely and i i do love a bison uh beer um used to used to be quite fond of those um and um last but not least um i'm curating a um a playlist of feel good tunes um what would be your go-to song of choice to add to that playlist yeah
1: that's a really tough one scott um i've been loving these uh so I guess probably my favorite artist, at least according to Spotify, is uh, Tallest Man on Earth. Yep. Uh, and he's got a a track called Love Is All, which I definitely like that's going to play at my funeral. So it would probably have to be that one. It's like a really happy song, uh, but sung in a sad way. <laughs>
0: no, absolutely. absolutely. I um, haven't heard of Tallest Man on Earth for years. So uh, that's on my go to this afternoon for... Uh, for uh, my spotify as well but look david great to have you on the zephyr podcast sessions thank you very much for giving up your time and and, and talking to us about this um if anyone's interested please get in touch and uh yeah let's catch up soon awesome
1: thanks Scott.